A note before we begin. Today's case is still open and active. If you have information that can help, resources can be found at the end of this episode. When someone you love goes missing, the relationship you had with them abruptly ends. As you can imagine, it's jarring. But what often goes unspoken when discussing missing person cases is, as you grieve the loss of one relationship, you enter all of these others with the people you suddenly have to rely on. Distant friends and relatives, the press, the police. Even though extraordinary circumstances brought you together, these relationships are really just like any other. Healthy ones are built on mutual trust and respect. They thrive when there are open lines of communication. And here's where things get tricky. Open lines of communication aren't always possible. Sometimes detectives need to withhold information to protect the integrity of their investigation and increase the odds of solving the case, including from the missing person's family. But if authorities haven't necessarily done anything to earn a family's trust, how are they supposed to believe that they're being shut out for their own benefit? And not because investigators haven't done much of anything at all. I'm Sarah Turney, and this is Disappearances, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Thursday, I examine a new missing person case ripped from history. I want to better understand the many reasons people disappear and the impact their absences can have on those left behind. Today, I want to introduce you to a 26-year-old pregnant woman who disappeared from Chicago's South Side in October 2018. As time passed with no updates from the police, the community banded together to find her. Years later, her family is still hunting for answers. Her name is Kira Coles. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. 
October 2nd, 2018 is an unseasonably warm day in Chicago, Illinois. Temperatures peak in the high 60s and the city rushes back to its summertime habits. Restaurant patios reopen, stores open their doors to let in the breeze, seas of people flood the local parks. In the Chatham neighborhood on Chicago's south side, families vacate their apartments to spend the day in the sun. Everyone knows that this might be the last gasp of warm weather. Music blasts from phone speakers. People break out their grills for one last cookout. Kids run around in tank tops and shorts, clogging the local playground, Cole Park. Outside the park, shops, mini-marts, and fast food restaurants line the streets of Chatham, many now boarded up, closed down, or vacant. The area has had its fair share of struggle. With a median income of around $34,000 and a lack of government funding, rising property taxes and high construction costs have forced long-standing local businesses out. The same can be said for a lot of majority black neighborhoods in Chicago, but that hasn't stopped Chatham residents from thriving on their own terms. The area is fiercely close-knit. Some businesses have served the community for decades. Neighbors talk about wanting to make Chatham a safer place to raise a family. There's a general sense that people look out for each other. Community is important. Kira Coles knows Chatham well. At 26, she works two jobs, one as a part-time U.S. Postal Service worker and another as a driver for Lyft. So she spends much of her time driving or walking the streets of Chatham. Kira's extremely driven, the type to set goals and check them off her list. Recently, it was move out and get her own apartment, then buy a reliable car. Now she wants to go full-time with the post office, and she's been working for three years to make that a reality. It's not just that Kira enjoys her job delivering mail. She wants the stability and benefits full-time work provides, especially because in about six months, she'll be responsible for another life. She's 12 weeks pregnant. She just heard her baby's heartbeat for the first time. And while there's no way to know for sure this early on, she has a feeling she's going to have a boy. Kira and her mother, Karen Phillips, are incredibly close. They talk every day, sometimes multiple times a day. And lately, their conversations have been centered around motherhood. Kira asks for advice on what products she should use, which prenatal vitamins she should take, which activities are worth avoiding while she's pregnant to keep her baby safe. On October 2nd, Kira has the day off from work. Kira and Karen speak on the phone around 7 p.m. During the call, Kira apparently expresses some concerns about overworking her body. And not just because she has asthma, she's apparently worried about her potential to miscarry. Now, I don't believe that she has any specific medical reason to be concerned though. I think it's more the general worries of a first-time mother. And as far as I can tell, apart from those comments, Kira and Karen's chat is just an ordinary run-of-the-mill conversation. The next day, October 3rd, is even hotter. With a high of 88 degrees, it feels like summer. Karen calls her daughter around 8 a.m. to check in. 
but the calls go to voicemail. When she tries again a few hours later, the same thing happens. For the rest of the day, she keeps calling, but Kara never picks up. With each unanswered call, Karen grows more concerned. October 3rd ends without Karen hearing from her daughter. The next morning, October 4th, Karen travels to Kira's apartment to make sure she's okay. When she arrives, Karen sees her daughter's car parked outside down the street. As she approaches the apartment, she hears the TV. She assumes Kira must be home, that maybe something happened to her phone yesterday and that's why she didn't pick up. But when Karen knocks on the door, she doesn't hear movement inside the apartment, just the drone of the television. So Karen calls Kira's boyfriend, Josh Simmons. He and Kira have been dating for six years. He's also the father of Kira's baby. Karen knows Josh has a spare key to Kira's apartment and might be able to let her in. But when Josh answers, he reportedly tells Karen he has no way of getting into the apartment. He doesn't have a key. Karen considers this strange. She's sure Josh has a key, but she doesn't push the issue any further. Josh says he hasn't seen Kira recently and tells Karen he's willing to come over to Kira's place right away. It's unclear whether Josh ever arrives at the scene, but concerned about Kira's well-being, Karen calls 911 and asks for a welfare check. When authorities arrive, they have to remove Kira's front door from its hinges to enter her apartment. Inside, everything looks completely normal. Nothing seems out of place. The groceries that Kira presumably bought the day before are even put away. There's no sign of a struggle. But there's no sign of Kira either. The police head back outside to Kira's sedan. It's parked pretty far down the block, which is strange. There are plenty of empty spots open in front of her apartment, and Kira would have been carrying groceries. But with so much else going on, Karen pushes those thoughts out of her mind. Authorities call a locksmith to get in the car. As they wait, Karen sees Kira's phone sitting inside. It explains why Kira wasn't answering Karen's calls, but it's obviously concerning. If Kira didn't have her phone when Karen called at 8 a.m. the day before, she's been without it for more than 24 hours, which is out of character for Kira. She would have gone looking for it, and surely she would have checked her car. After they unlock the sedan, officials find Kira's purse inside. It contains her prenatal vitamins and an uneaten lunch she packed for herself. In the trunk, they find Kira's work uniform and mailbag. Aside from the glaring concern that her daughter is missing, everything looks so normal. Like Kira was in the middle of living her life as usual, ready to go into work, and then vanished. But Karen soon finds out that Kira didn't plan to go into work that day. She apparently called out sick that morning. The message to her employer may have been the last contact she had with anyone, if it was Kira who called out. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. In October 2018, Joseph Coles is living in Wisconsin. The second he hears his daughter has gone missing, he quits his job, packs up, and drives down to Chicago. He wants to make sure he can dedicate every second he has to finding Kira. Joseph was born and raised on the south side of Chicago, so he's familiar with Kira's neighborhood. When he arrives, Joseph parks directly across the street from his daughter's apartment building. And that's where he stakes out. He wants to be there should she ever come home. And he believes she will. During the day, he passes out flyers and spreads awareness throughout the neighborhood. He lives out of his car for weeks. It's where he sleeps and often where he eats. Kara's mother, Karen, is just as dedicated. She tells a reporter, I haven't been sleeping. I don't want to eat. I don't want to close my eyes. I just want my daughter to come home. Kira's parents' persistence pays off. Unlike so many people of color who go missing, Kira's story gets picked up by media outlets, with Karen and Joseph at the forefront of the coverage. They appear in interviews, asking for people to call tip lines with any information they might have. The residents of Chatham, family, friends, neighbors, and complete strangers pitch in to help find Kira. They volunteer to pass out flyers and knock on doors alongside Joseph and Karen. Some tenants who live in Kira's building craft missing person posters and hang them up in the lobby. Photos of Kira appear alongside hashtags like hashtag search for Kira and handwritten pleas for help in big block letters like have you seen her. In pretty much every picture, Kira's staring directly at the camera with her big brown eyes and soft smile. Most were pulled from Kira's social media and have Snapchat filters on them, the kind that smooths your skin and puts a cartoon flower crown on your head. Kira loves Snapchat. She used to post every day. For her sister, Kimberly Phillips, opening the app to see all Kira's streaks gone is another harrowing reminder of her absence. Before long, Kira's employers take action too. Detectives with the Postal Inspection Service launch their own investigation. Mac Julian, the president of the local branch of the National Letter Carriers Association, rallies his union to put forward a $2,500 reward and demands the USPS do the same. In time, the U.S. Postal Inspection Service put out another $25,000 reward for information that could help investigators find Kira. In the aftermath of Kira's disappearance, though, Chicago police make little progress. They direct people to call their department's tip line. They say their detectives are following up on all relevant leads. But when reporter Regina Waldrop of NBC5 News shows up in Kira's neighborhood, she's surprised to find Kira's car still parked on the street, in the same spot. 
It hasn't been towed, impounded, or taken for evidence. Kira's purse is still sitting inside in plain sight. It makes Regina question whether the police are actually doing everything they can. But thanks to the efforts of Kira's community, a few days after Kira goes missing, there's an apparent break in her case. A neighbor who lives on Kira Street says their surveillance cameras caught Kira on video. The footage was taken on October 3rd, the same day Kira didn't pick up her phone. One day before Karen showed up at her apartment. Now, the clip is grainy. It's hard to make out much detail. But at 11.53 a.m. on October 3rd, it shows an average-sized woman wearing leggings and a postal uniform walking down Vernon Avenue toward 81st Street where Kira lives. The camera taking the footage looks onto the sidewalk and a row of cars parallel parked on the street. The woman occupies a small fraction of the frame, but she's clearly walking like she's in a hurry, like she's got something important to do. Then, just as she gets to the corner of 81st Street, she turns around. She starts walking the other way on Vernon, now in a lot less of a hurry. She steps off the curb to cross the road and starts rummaging through her bag. At this point, a second camera picks up the woman from a different angle, looking onto Vernon Avenue. You can see her strolling down the road beside the cars toward 82nd Street, and she walks right past Kira's sedan. She doesn't stop. She doesn't give it a sideways glance. Then she walks out of frame. It's not much, but without any other leads, the video feels significant and the media immediately runs with it. The footage plays repeatedly on news outlets. It becomes the centerpiece for all coverage about the case. Flyers that once had Kira's selfies are replaced with still frames of the tape, and they become the defining images of the investigation. But the more Karen Phillips watches the clips, the less convinced she becomes that the woman in the video is her daughter. First, the footage raises some logistical questions. Kira took the day off, so why would she be in her uniform? And how did her uniform end up in the trunk? It's also a little strange that she would just walk past her car without any acknowledgement. But also, as a mother, Karen can just tell it's not her daughter in the clip. She watched Kira learn to walk, to dress herself, to drive. She knows Kira, and the woman in the video is too tall. Her walk is different. Her gait isn't right. She carries herself in an unfamiliar way. Karen's certain this woman is not Kira, but her suspicions seemingly fall on deaf ears. The video appears on nightly news shows, in social media posts, and in online articles, even though she's right. And eventually, detectives know she's right. They confirm the woman in the video is another postal worker who happens to live in Kira's neighborhood. But for some reason, when they find this out, they don't ask media outlets to take the video down. They let it keep playing. And according to Karen, Chicago police ask her to stay quiet about the fact it's not her daughter. Why? Honestly, I'm not sure. 
maybe they hoped that someone who had a hand in Kira's disappearance would see the video and assume the investigation was headed in the wrong direction. Maybe they hoped the person would be more likely to make a mistake. But whatever the reasons the authorities have for keeping the video up, it doesn't help. It's misleading. A distraction. Not wanting to disrupt the investigation, Karen follows CPD's advice and doesn't say anything. Media outlets only remove the footage after detectives with the Postal Inspection Service voice their concerns about the woman in the video not being Kira. This happens about a month after Kira was last seen, and by that point, the damage is done. The video misled thousands of people into thinking Kira was seen alive and well hours after her family couldn't get in touch with her. And it distracts from the fact that the Chicago police have found nothing to move their investigation forward. They never even make a comment about the video. They don't confirm or deny anything. All they offer the press are the same canned statements as before. They're following up on all leads. Call if you have information. For Kira's parents, Karen and Joseph, the video marks a turning point in their search for Kira. As more time passes without any progress, Kira's parents lose any faith they once had in the police. When they try to get in contact with detectives, their calls go unanswered. There's no follow-up to their questions. In their eyes, the Chicago police are totally absent from all the groundwork being done to find their daughter. It doesn't seem like they care. And regardless of whether they do or not, Karen and Joseph feel alone and they act accordingly. With the support of the community, they lead the search for their daughter, earnestly and relentlessly on their own. They make sure Kira's story stays top of mind for anyone in the Chicago area, anyone who could know something already or see something in the future. They speak to NBC Chicago, ABC, the Chicago Tribune, everyone they can. And their message is always the same. We won't stop until we find her. Joseph tells one CBS reporter that he plans to stay parked across the street from his daughter's apartment as long as it takes. Stating, quote, if my baby's out there being cold, I can be cold. He holds out hope that Kira is still alive. Even though before long, the CPD suggests Kira's disappearance is most likely the result of foul play. As November turns to December, then a new year, 2019, Karen and Joseph continue pounding the pavement. They print posters, knock on doors, get in front of cameras to raise awareness. They worry about the fact that Kira is now six months pregnant and has been without her inhaler for months. Then on April 16th, 2019, Karen and Joseph pass a grim milestone, Kira's due date. Not only are they unsure whether their daughter's safe or alive, they don't know whether they have another grandchild or not. As for the father of Kira's child, Josh Simmons, you may have noticed he's been missing from most of the story so far. That's because according to Karen, after Kira disappeared, he basically did too. He didn't help pass out flyers. 
He didn't knock on doors. He pretty much dropped off the face of the earth. And despite their best efforts, the press couldn't get in touch with him. He didn't wanna talk. Eventually though, police learn what happened to him. They find out he no longer lives in Chicago. He moved to an entirely different state with another woman. In the spring of 2019, around the time Kira Coles would be giving birth, police learn Josh Simmons moved out of Chicago to Louisiana, some 900 miles away. Around this time, Josh is reportedly a person of interest in Kira's disappearance, if only because he was one of the last people to see Kira alive. Now, to be crystal clear, the police have no evidence to suggest Josh had anything to do with Kira going missing. As far as I can tell, he has no criminal record. He's never been convicted or charged with any crimes. There's no legal reason why he shouldn't be allowed to move states. But while that may be true, Josh's decision to leave raises red flags, especially for Kira's parents. Not only did Josh leave for Louisiana, he reportedly moved in with his ex-girlfriend, the mother of two of his children. According to Karen, Kira and this woman didn't get along. After one bad fight, the ex was reportedly banned from coming to Josh's house. Karen initially gave Josh the benefit of the doubt after her daughter went missing. According to her, she always liked Josh. In the six years Kira dated him, she says he always had good manners, went to church and never raised his voice. Even when others tried to convince her that Josh was responsible, Karen says she defended him, telling them don't do that because we don't know what happened. But Karen has questions for Josh. Like why would he leave Kira, his pregnant girlfriend, when she needed him most? What could he know that he's not telling police? By the end of 2019, Karen and Joseph haven't found more answers. And a few months later, they're hit with more questions. In July, 2020, the Chicago police announced they'll be halting their investigation into Kira's disappearance. Then two months after that, CPD contradicts their original statement. They say Kira's case isn't closed. They're still investigating. It's strange. I honestly don't know how that kind of miscommunication could happen. My only guess would be that police felt they needed to backtrack after receiving some bad press for closing the case. I know Karen and Joseph have been vocal about the police not doing enough for their daughter. Now that reasoning seems especially plausible because the announcement that the police are still dedicated to Kira's case doesn't come with good news or updates. The case is just still open. Kira's family meets the moment with a healthy dose of skepticism. For them, the search for Kira Coles has always been a community-led investigation. So on the south side of Chicago, the hunt for Kira continues on as strong as ever. Every year on September 24th, Kira's family throws an event in her honor. It's a celebration meets a rally meets a press conference. But in many ways, the event looks like a traditional neighborhood birthday party. 
people sing happy birthday. Someone brings a cake with Kira's photo printed on the frosting. Kira's mother wears a matching sweatshirt with her daughter's face on it. There are other events too, also organized by Kira's family. Speeches, rallies, anything that will keep Kira's story alive and increase the chances of a break in the case. Then, in February 2021, Karen reveals that a neighbor showed her another surveillance video at the beginning of the investigation. In this clip, footage allegedly shows Kira and Josh walking out of her apartment and leaving in separate cars on the night Karen last spoke to her daughter, October 2nd, 2018. According to Karen, the neighbor turned this video over to the cops. She also says the police told her about some additional footage from later that same night. An ATM camera supposedly captured video of Kira and Josh. In the clip, Kira apparently withdraws $400 from her account and gives it to Josh. When the press approaches CPD for comment, they refuse to confirm any of this, which means I can't say for sure if the footage exists. Nobody can. The police have publicly revealed almost nothing about their investigation. While the US Postal Inspection Service says there have been over 400 leads, according to Karen, all the police will tell her now is they're working on it. In June, 2021, Joseph Coles sits down with CBS Local News for an interview. After two and a half years, he says he still feels stonewalled by the investigators allegedly looking for his daughter. Joseph tells a reporter, quote, we're not getting the proper answers. We're not getting the proper phone calls. No one is knocking our door down to tell us anything, end quote. A few months later on September 24th, 2021, Karen and Josh host Kira's annual birthday party. There's a different energy in the air than usual. Weeks earlier, vlogger Gabby Petito went missing in Wyoming while on a trip with her boyfriend. You probably heard about it. It became one of the most talked about missing person cases ever. At Kira's birthday party, George Ivy, a family friend, gave a call to action to law enforcement, the media, and the world, saying, quote, I want you all to treat Kira Cole's case like it was Gabby Petito's case. Now, I agree with George. Every missing persons case should be treated like Gabby Petito's case. He's not saying Gabby Petito didn't deserve the attention she got. I don't support anyone who shames Gabby Petito or her family for the amount of attention her disappearance, her murder received. He's saying, and I'm saying, Kira deserves the same. Now, I wanna be super clear. We can grieve two tragedies without pitting them against each other. Accountability lies with those who have the power, the media, law enforcement, and us. Media outlets and law enforcement agencies choose which cases receive their time and resources, and we choose which ones we give our attention to. Near the end of September, 2021, the Chicago Tribune publishes an article covering Kira's birthday party. The reporter, Manny Ramos, reached out to the Chicago Police Department for comment about Kira's case. A spokesperson apparently responded by saying Kira's case, quote, 
remains a high-risk missing person investigation. They claim to still be working alongside the United States Postal Inspection Service and the FBI to solve Kira's disappearance. They added, quote, at this point, anybody with the knowledge of her last whereabouts is asked to contact the Chicago Police Department. We are seeking any and all information in an attempt to locate her, and we won't stop until we do. I hope that's true. And I hope that's always been the case, and not just a reaction to coming under a bit of fire. Because ultimately, the frustrations Kira's family feels aren't just their own. In the United States, an average of about 250 black women and girls go missing every day. This is according to statistics from NPR reporting and information from the National Crime Information Center. As recently as March, 2021, another pregnant black woman went missing in Southwest Chicago. Her name is Sharitha Morrison. That same week, Illinois state legislators met to discuss why black women and girls made up about one third of all missing person cases in the United States and what can be done to make change. Local leaders and law enforcement agencies all around the country have the ability to do the same, to ensure the system works for and prioritizes these women but it's yet to be made clear what changes, if any, have or will be implemented. Kira Coles would be turning 30 this year. Her baby would be three years old. She's five foot four, has a heart tattooed on her right hand and the words Lucky Libra tattooed on her back. If you have information on Kira Cole's disappearance, please contact the Chicago Police Department's Area South Special Victims Unit at 312-747-8274 or the U.S. Postal Inspection Service at 877-876-2455. Thank you for listening. In the time it took you to listen to this episode, 30 people disappeared in the United States alone. For more information on cases like Kira Coles and what you can do to help, please visit the Black and Missing Foundation at BAMFI.org. The Black and Missing Foundation is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to bring awareness to missing persons of color, provide vital resources and tools to missing persons' families and friends, and to educate the minority community on personal safety. You can find all episodes of Disappearances and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Disappearances stars Sarah Turney and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Alex Button, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Disappearances was written by Georgia Hampton, with writing assistance by Amber Hurley and Connor Sampson, fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Mickey Taylor. To hear more stories hosted by me, check out my other podcast, Voices for Justice.